1: And I think if we start freeing couples up to realize there's not a one-size-fits-all sleeping strategy that works for all couples, you know, it's not the end of the world or the end of the relationship if sometimes you need to sort of think up creatively about sleeping arrangements in order to prioritize your sleep.
0: So let's talk about sleep this is a topic Chris that we're often split on right we all know that person who goes to sleep early
2: and maintains a routine and probably always feels good because of it right and then there's the other camp which subscribes to the mindset of I'll sleep when I'm dead trying to squeeze in as much as they possibly can into every 24 hours where do you fall Mike
0: I guess a little of both I don't get as much sleep as I'd like for sure, but I am very regular about it. If I don't get that afternoon nap, stay away from me.
2: Make sure I don't run into you after you leave KRLD (laughs) in the afternoon then. I'd like to tell myself I'm in the group that prioritizes sleep, but if I'm being honest, I don't sleep enough. There's usually one or two nights a week where I go eight or nine hours and then a bunch of short nights. And if your partner has a schedule different
0: than yours or is just wired differently getting good sleep could be even more
2: difficult. Exactly, and according to a study this year by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, about 30% of respondents said they sleep either in separate beds or in separate rooms than their partner. It's a trend that's been dubbed sleep divorce.
0: I'm your host, Mike Rogers. That is one of our producers, Chris Blake. And for this episode of Something Offbeat, I spoke with Dr. Wendy Troxell, a senior behavioral and social scientist at the RAND Corporation.
1: I've been studying sleep for over 20 years, and I recently wrote a book about couples in sleep specifically called Sharing the Covers, Every Couple's Guide to Better Sleep.
0: This surprised me. A third of all adult couples don't sleep in the same bed. That just seemed really surprisingly high to me.
1: That's exactly right. This was uh, some results from a recent survey study conducted by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine of about 2,000 adults. And what they found was that about a third of survey respondents reported that at least some of the time they slept apart, um, you, using the sort of uh, colloquial term that I don't like so much of you know, experiencing a sleep divorce, at least some of the time. Why
0: don't you like that term?
1: Well, when you put the word divorce in any context related to a relationship, there's an automatic negative connotation. So I really want us to disentangle this judgment and negative connotation from a sleeping strategy that may work perfectly well for some couples. And it might, in fact, enhance the relationship if they're sleeping better.
0: All right, I got you. But I want to get back to this one third of people sleeping separately. You're not saying that they sleep apart every night, just some of the time.
1: That's correct. At least how they measured um, this behavior uh, in this particular study that the couples were reporting at least some of the time or or some were reporting consistently sleeping apart. And what I can say just clinically is that, you know, there are definitely some couples who have found uh, that sleeping apart is the strategy that works for them and they routinely engage in that behavior. But for other couples, it may be um, that they're in more of a sleep separation strategy where sometimes it's during the work week when the demands are really high and maybe they have different work schedules or sleep schedules, they choose to sleep apart, but then they have a reunion on the weekend. That's just to say that there's lots of strategies for couples to maximize their sleep quality And in doing so, also maximize the relationship quality. And to be
0: honest, there are some good reasons to do this, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's a real focus of my book is trying to, you know, raise awareness to just how vital healthy sleep is, not only for our own individual health and well-being, but also for relationship health. And so it's really time that we start as a society focusing on the importance of sleep and prioritizing sleep. Again, not just because it's good for us as individuals, but because it's really critical for the success of our relationships.
0: Could having different hours be one of the reasons to do this?
1: You know, there, there are natural morning larks and there are evening types or owls. And sometimes, you know, uh, birds of a feather or birds not of a feather do flock together.
2: Mike, I feel like as a morning news anchor, you asked that last question just for you. (laughs) Well, I do have to go to bed pretty early with my wake-up time. Does your wife go to bed when you do, or does she stay up a bit later? No, it depends uh, how tired she is, I guess. Sometimes she'll stay up and watch a little TV. For myself, I'm 100% a night owl by nature. In fact, this is the first job I've ever had when I have not worked nights, which, believe me, I do not take for granted – but probably took me a good two or three months to be able to go to bed at a reasonable time after I started these hours.
0: And believe me, if you work in the media, if you work in news, finding yourself with an unusual sleep schedule, that is probably the norm.
1: There can be challenges when there's a mismatch in couples' sleeping schedules, whether it because, is because of these Intrinsic differences. And we all come sort of hardwired with intrinsic differences. Uh, Some tend to be more morning types. Some tend to be more evening types. Or it may be differences in work schedules, which drive schedules apart. That can definitely, definitely create challenges for couples. What are some
0: solutions if one person wants to stay up a little later than the other?
1: What I often suggest to couples, if they are on vastly different sleep schedules for whatever reason, to try to prioritize the time that they spend together in bed before one of the partners falls asleep. So let's say you have one partner who really, you know, routinely goes to bed, you know, by at 10 p.m., but the other partner is a night owl and just isn't ready for sleep at that time. Well, I suggest to them that they maybe Prioritize some time together before the um, early bird goes to bed to cuddle, to digest the stresses of their day, to just really sort of ritualize that nighttime routine together. And then when it's time for bed for the early bird, the night owl can quietly leave the room and return to the bed um, at a later time or sleep separately. But it's really about um, routinizing and making a ritual of that really sacred time before falling asleep.
0: Can snoring play into this as well? Because I remember when I was a kid, I I was shocked when I learned that my grandparents slept in not just separate beds, but separate rooms until I heard my grandfather snore. And then I realized exactly why it was happening.
1: Absolutely. When uh, significant noise disruptions, such as snoring, and it's a big one, uh, is uh, that significant? Separate beds are, are not sufficient. Uh, separate rooms are really required to keep some distance. And yes, many couples um, face this challenge. And you know, it's often kind of the butt of jokes. That, you know, about the the snoring spouse, and you know, getting kicked out of the room. But it's actually a really serious issue. And I think it's again important that we start raising awareness of this topic and the challenges that many couples face because it's not just a joke. A loud snoring can be a sign of a significant sleep disorder called sleep apnea. And the consequences of sleep apnea, again, go beyond just the individual who snores, but also to the bed partner.
0: Chris, I can remember my grandparents growing up, and they slept in separate rooms, and I never understood why until my grandfather fell asleep in the recliner one day and I heard him snore. (laughs) Then it all became very clear to me that it's just it's necessary sometimes. And I she mentioned sleep apnea. I have sleep apnea. I've got a CPAP machine. Before I got that though, I was a terrible snorer and I, I felt really badly for my wife because she had to put up with that every single night. And were you ever politely asked to leave the room? Well and impolitely too, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Although not by her. Like I said, she was great. She put up with it all those years, but when we would travel And we had our daughters, you know, and they would, we'd all be in the same hotel room, they'd get pretty upset.
2: That can be tough.
1: If you're considering different sleeping arrangements with your partner, it doesn't have to mean anything negative about your relationship. So if we remove this stigma, I think it can allow couples to have have those calm and courteous conversations in a really open and honest way. And it really stems from, I care about, you know, my partner, I care about this other person. And I also care about my sleep because getting healthy sleep is a critical strategy to being a good partner.
0: Is this a relatively new phenomenon? Has this gone on in the past?
1: It absolutely has, and in fact, throughout Western history, we've seen this like shifting pendulum back and forth from stigma, you know, attached to sleeping together, and now stigma attached to sleeping apart. And there's some evidence that that uh, pendulum is going to is sort of slowly shifting again towards sort of less stigma stigma against sleeping apart. But just think of like Netflix shows, like you know, The Crown, where among wealthy couples, it was truly de rigueur in, you know, the distant past to sleep apart. So those who could afford it slept apart. And in part because sleeping together was sort of considered a sign of um, sort of being unhygienic. There were also theories about the spread of disease, which suggested in the Victorian era that disease was spread through foul odors, Therefore, you know, your partner's bad breath was not just a nuisance, but could actually be spreading disease. So sleeping apart was considered the more hygienic, um, sleeping arrangements and, but it was only afforded to those who had money and could afford the sleeping separate sleeping strategies. Then if, if you fast forward, it was really the 1960s where we saw this major pendulum sh- shift towards um, stigma attached to sleeping apart. That's when society started looking at the marital bed as being this key symbol of you know, a, a happy relationship. Therefore, couples who slept apart necessarily, you know, had a loveless and sexless union, uh, which is simply not the case. But that's where that stigma came from.
0: But I know in the 60s, of course, that's when we first saw couples sleeping in the same bed on TV. That that had not been the case up until
1: then. Right. There were even, you know, laws governing Hollywood prior to the 1960s. Uh, suggesting that, you know, if a man and a woman were were even in uh, a bed on, on camera, at least one person had to have a foot on the floor, like ready to escape at any time. Um, you know, and we have the images from the 1950s, uh, you know, the I Love Lucy show. This is a true married couple in real life, playing a married couple um, on TV life, sleeping in separate single beds.
2: All right, Mike, I'm going to steal from our other producer on this show, Lauren Barry. Time for trivia.
0: Trivia. Can't believe you're going to do this to me.
2: Hey, I'm just reading the script that I wrote. First question. You and Dr. Troxel mentioned I Love Lucy, but do you know, what was the first TV show to show a couple in the same bed? I'm going to say The Cleavers? Close. It was a show called Mary Kay and Johnny, which was apparently regional. And aired first in 1947. It had to have been regional because I have never <laughs> heard of that show. And after a little research, I found that Lucy and Desi did actually share a bed in a couple of episodes. There was also The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet and Bewitched that showed characters in the same bed, but the most famous TV couple to share a bed in the early days of sitcoms. That was Mike and Carol Brady.
0: You mentioned that stigma has started to fade. Is that why millennials at 43% lead the way when it comes to sleeping separately?
1: In the past, you know, 20, 30 years, where we've started to see this pendulum shift towards more acceptance of alternative sleeping strategies that is sleeping apart. There's more and more celebrity couples who've come out to, you know, acknowledge, admit that they sleep apart. And so there's been this growing acceptance Um, of sleeping apart. In addition, when you really think about what the millennial generation um, is going through in terms of their lifestyle characteristics, they often um, are early in their careers, may have young children. And so these couples may again, be more open to doing just about anything to get a good night of sleep.
0: Tell me this, what's the most outlandish reason you've ever heard from, from a couple for not sleeping together?
1: I don't know how outlandish it is, but um, I've certainly seen many couples uh, where uh, the, the partner gets kicked out of bed um, in place of you know, a dog or a cat, so the, the pet takes priority. Um, I've also seen um, some situations um, because I've worked with military couples um, and other uh, populations with significant sleep disorders where it even becomes an issue of safety at night. Many years ago, um, when there were high rates um, of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder um, coming um, home from the Iraq or Afghanistan wars, we would see that you know nightmares are a primary symptom of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and sometimes um, the service member, when they got home, their sleep was very disturbed. They might thrash at night, um, you know, you know, punch, kick, and it was really an issue of safety for the bed partner that we, when I would work with them as a couple, there were times where we had to make the decision to have them sleep apart, really for the safety of the bed partner, as we got the service member treated for their sleep disorder um, so that, you know, um, he or she didn't inadvertently punch or kick uh, the bed partner while sleeping.
0: You, you actually, you alluded to it a moment ago is uh, the issue of pets. Is that common yeah. that, that dogs and cats play into this?
1: It is, whether it be dogs or cats or, you know, um, you know, children or, you know, can often, you know, make threes a crowd in a bedroom and sort of negotiating the broader social nature of the shared bed is also a real challenge that many couples face. And it's just not how sleep researchers in the past tended to focus on sleep, we, you know, used to measure sleep in these tightly controlled conditions in the laboratory um, when the individual is completely alone. But that's not what sleep in the real world looks like. It's often, you know, noisy, interrupted by kids, pets, partners.
0: I tell you what, I'm I'm about to head home right now and take my afternoon nap, and there'll be two big dogs in that bed with me. So <laughs> well, hopefully <laughs> they don't snore. I'm Mike Rogers, and thanks for listening to Something Offbeat. This episode written and produced by Laurent Barry and Chris Blake. Audio editing by Brie Flores. Original music by Myron Kaplan. And editorial support from Cooper Mall. And to keep listening, please subscribe to us on the Odyssey app or Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have your own offbeat story that you think we should cover, don't keep it to yourself. Let us know about it. Send it to us at somethingoffbeat at odyssey.com.